0: You know one of the uh one of the uh I suppose dilemmas and uh struggles and trying to figure out the right way that uh, Christians through the generations have had to wrestle with and that is the the relationship to the world separation for example uh different things have been tried and uh different denominations have different approaches. A few years ago there was a article in Christianity Day that I really appreciated and I, I think it was so significant. It was, uh, it was written by a Lutheran journalist and uh, he decided he wanted some time, I don't know if it was for his own purposes, a time to relax or time of inquiry, but he spent a few days in an Amish colony and enjoyed himself and uh, had some good conversations and one of the things that came out of that was that the Lutherans and the Amish were so different in their approach to the world the elder of the Amish proclaimed boldly that we belong to only one world one kingdom alone Now, when you hear a statement like that, then you can kind of understand, okay, it makes sense then that they would live in a colony because they recognize only one kingdom. Lutherans, more like us, of course, they uh, honestly believe that they belong to two kingdoms. We do, don't we? I mean, that would be where we're at. We realize that we are part of what it means to be in the dominion of this world. We're citizens in the world and we're citizens of heaven. And how do you work all of that out? So it was, it was very revealing and uh, interesting how that uh, the Lutherans especially believe that they are going to get their feet dirty. It's just the way it is, but they're supposed to be there anyway, you see. And I think as Baptists that's probably where we're at too, essentially. We walk where other people walk. And we can't help once in a while getting our feet a little bit dirty because we're in, a, in this dirty world. Well, this morning we're looking at a passage that definitely speaks to us about what it means in part. It's not the whole story, but it speaks in part of what it means for you and I as followers of Jesus Christ to be in the world and we live with that tension as uh, as we read in the gospel of John we are in the world and yet we're not of the world and so let's just read that section and I'm going to invite you to stand with me and we're going to we're going to stay these words together from Matthew 5 verse 13 to 16 starting with verse 13 you are the salt instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven please be seated shine jesus shine shine through us into the world here our lord uses two metaphors from everyday life, to describe the Christian's influence in the world. He says, you are my disciples, you my disciples. I'm talking to you now, saying, you know, James, John, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, you are salt, you are light. Not in the church, for that's not what I'm talking about here not in your togetherness, not among yourselves, that's not really what I'm talking about here, but in the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, the world of people in society. But what does he mean then by salt? What does he mean by light? Well, in the ancient world, as now salt was used to flavor foods, and in small doses it was used as fertilizer and as a preservator rubbed into meat a little salt would slow decay could be however and I kind of lean that way that what Jesus especially has in mind here is that salt was used as a fertilizer which promotes wellness and flourishing. Uh, light is a universal religious symbol it represents purity as opposed to filth truth as opposed to error knowledge rather than ignorance and it represents also the presence of God as opposed to being abandoned by God I think it's pretty clear here I don't think there's any question that uh, in the use of these two metaphors, Jesus is referring to the influence that Christians have upon the world. Those who are members of his kingdom, living in the kingdom of this world and the kind of influence they have upon the world. And so I want to make three very simple observations here that I'm sort of framing my thoughts around. I want to talk about distinctiveness. I want to talk about permeation, that is, that it has to permeate. And then finally about effectiveness. But both of these metaphors speak of our distinctiveness, Christians as distinctive from the world at large. Here's a way that John Stott has commented on this. He says that Christians are radically different from non-Christians, or if they are not, they ought to be. Jesus sets over against each other two commodities. On the one hand, there is the world, and on the other hand, there is you, who are the world's light. Jesus implies that we are as different as light from darkness and salt from decay. Salt, very sharp in its taste, distinct. <laughs> I experienced this as a, as a young person. I was a teenager and uh, we were playing games in, in young peoples. And uh, the, the idea was that I was to take this, this sugar and I was trying to sell it to, to the other person. And then after selling it to that person and promoting how great this sugar was, and then if they could if they could just catch it in time, I would give it to them. And then of course the trick was I was to put it into my own mouth. It wasn't sugar. <laughs> it was salt. Very, very distinct, very different. And uh, and so here as he talks to the the original audience here about this, he's talking about both of them as being distinct and uh, salt. It could very well be speaking of the agricultural use as fertilizer. And, uh, and we see that, uh, you see, in, in that particular setting as fertilizer, it could be spread on the soil, or it could also be spread on a manure pile to preserve the fertilizing quality of the matu- manure. And uh, that interpretation of it would sort of fit what Jesus is talking about here, when he, when he warns against disciples losing their salt capacity, he's saying that if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled underground. And uh, if it was good, it could be used for fertilizer or to preserve the fertilizing quality of manure. And there's there's a verse in Luke chapter 14, verse 34, that kind of supports this interpretation because it says that salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, it is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. And light, of course is set in contrast to darkness. Of course, we still use that saying, right? As different as night and day, or as different as light from darkness. But what is very important here, I believe, and that is that we are to be distinct, but not distinct in some different, merely arbitrary, meaningless, rule-oriented way. Not different, just to be different, or different in mere outward appearance only, like clothing or hairdo. My mom had a very close friend who was sort of backslidden, but she had been part of a Christian group that was very conservative, and they, they even had to dress in a way that everybody could tell that they were Christians. And she still believed that, even though she was far removed from that. She still believed that you should be able to look at a person. If he's a Christian, you should be able to see it just from the, from the clothes they're wearing. I am totally confident that is not what our Lord is talking about here but that he is talking about being distinct in a way that really does contribute to light in the face of darkness or that really does contribute to restraint against the forces of evil and that influences the flourishing of others. Distinct in a helpful, helpful kind of a way. But it's even more specific than that. I want you to think of the context where the, the, the teaching in this whole section. Here Jesus has been teaching about, well, it's a Sermon on the Mount. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And he's teaching the ways of his kingdom. And he's expecting his followers to live by these in contrast to the norms of the kingdom of the world. And think about some of those teachings, turning the other cheek. Being peacemakers, going the extra mile, blessing those who wrong us, loving the enemy. Remember that section where he says anybody can love their friends? That doesn't really stand out. Everybody does that. But I want you to love your enemies. Being a channel of God's love and grace, being merciful, the absent of tit for tat. That's the kind. That's the context in which this is. He's saying you are salt. You are light. (laughs) In contrast to the norm. In in distinctiveness from the ways of the world. And so, how might then we lose that distinctive capacity to promote flourishing or to fail to be light in the world? Well, some examples. If on Sunday I sing about the wonderful grace of Jesus, but during the week I am mean and petty towards those who make mistakes and block my goals. In other words, I can sing about grace, but am I showing grace to others? If I show hostility and resentment and a revengeful spirit against those who wrong me, or I'm just as unforgiving as anyone else, how then can I have the influence of either salt or light? And how our troubled world, our very troubled world, needs this kind of alternative influence. Grace in action. Forgiveness. The absence of tit-for-tat. And you know, the world takes note when they see it. I mentioned at the beginning something about the Amish. Many of you will remember this. In 2006, five five Amish girls aged 6 to 13 were shot and killed by a man in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, who then killed himself. The event stunned the world, and I'm Reporting here from Mark Buchanan, and then later from Philip Yancey as they comment on this. But uh, Buchanan goes on to say what happened next stunned the world all the more. A whole community, not bent on retaliation, not shouting with anger or collapsing in despair, but standing with quiet dignity and deep calm. The community was quick to forgive. They even established a charity for the killer's family. And then uh, Yancey goes on to report. He says reporters came from many countries. They swarmed the hills looking for an angle. They came to report on evil and instead ended up reporting on the church. The world took notice And he says, one college professor told me he had identified 2,400 articles from around the world that focused on the response of the Amish people, especially on the theme of forgiveness, forgiveness for the killer. Now something that I find interesting here, and it's even ironical. I mean, here is the Amish group. They stand out as being different in ways that, in my opinion, aren't relevant. I mean, their felt hats and their buggies and their dark clothing. And, uh, well, frankly, things that almost seem weird. I don't think that impresses anyone. certainly doesn't impress me. And as I said at the beginning, it goes, I think it goes against the whole teaching of separation to say that we only belong to that one, you know, group, the one kingdom. And yet, when the same group gives grace and forgiveness in an outstanding way, the whole world takes notice. I think that speaks to us, I think that magnifies something for us about the significance of what Jesus taught, and the significance of living in that way. That is an example of salt. That is an example of light. And the world takes notice. What an example of the kind of distinctiveness that really matters, and that gains credibility. I have another example that's closer to home, and this has to do with friends of mine, people whose whose uh, approach to the Christian life is very much like ours. Uh, Warren and Carol Larson, friends from PRBI days. Missionaries in Pakistan from 69 to 91. And then something happened where they were not able to get back into the country again. And uh, so uh, Warren then became an associate professor in Muslim studies at Columbia International University in South Carolina. And uh, when I was pastoring in Drayton Valley, we had the privilege of having Warren come and and, uh, teach us in the area of Islam. Uh, But he, he reports in Christian Today that in 79 there was a serious incident, and Americans and Jews were wrongly blamed. When the false rumor reached our city, a mob formed and attacked us at our house burned our jeeps, burned our literature, smashed furniture, and could have killed us, but for the grace of God. A few days later, the truth came out. The police and the military in our city rescued us and grabbed a few of the rioters and put them in prison. And we went to them and we said, we forgive you. We're not going to lodge a case against you. Then neighbors, some of the people who knew me well, embraced me. And they said, Mr. Larson, we now know the difference between you and us. We do not forgive our enemies when there's trouble between us. Sunni and Shiites, we fight, we burn one another's shops. But you have forgiven us. And Larson said to them, we're just doing what Jesus taught us to do. Distinct? I think so. Distinct in a way that matters? Of course. Distinct being salt, being light, in in a way that connects, in a way that is consistent with the Sermon on the Mount, the very passage, the very area of Scripture that Jesus is teaching that we are, in fact, salt and light. And I say yes to all of the above. The metaphor speaks of being distinct. We are salt, we are light, we are to be distinct. Secondly, the metaphors speak of permeation. The expectation is that our influence will permeate, will spread around in the world around us. Table salt has to get out of that salt shaker. As fertilizer, it has to be spread on the ground. Many years ago, some of you probably read the book by uh, Rebecca Pippard, it was entitled out of the salt shaker and into the world the title itself is worth the price of the book but it has to get out there and uh, I think what Jesus is stating here is is so clear and obvious in fact I, when it, what he says here about light I suspect I don't know this but I suspect there may have been a sort of a twinkle in his eye when he said this because he was using humor I think and just stating the obvious he says you know Uh, people don't put a, they don't light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. I think he's, I think he's sort of using humor here to make a a real clear point. Of course you don't do that. Uh, You don't, you don't paste mud on the front of your headlights because light is intended to shine. And then he goes on to say that you have to let your light shine so that people can see your good works and bring glory to your father in heaven and that would assume that we're going to be out there we're going to be involved (laughs) and I realize here there's a little bit of a contradiction of what I I use the Amish as as an example well they, they demonstrated such forgiveness that the whole world took notice but they tend not to be involved but we should be involved we need to be like Like I said earlier, yeah, our feet might get a little dirty. We need to be out there. I'm afraid that too often, don't be conformed to this world. Don't be be conformed to this world has become do not be connected to this world. You know, keep your relationship with people of the world on a superficial level. And in many cases, we have created our own little subculture that keeps us from being out there. You know, our own Christian entertainment, our own Christian radio, our own Christian TV, our own Christian novels, our own Christian music. And perhaps worst of all, surrounding ourselves almost exclusively with our own nice crowd of Christian friends. Now, I realize that we need some of that for our own well-being. And so please continue to enjoy your Christian music and enjoy your Christian novels by all means. But at the same time, remember that the call to separation is not a call to isolation. It's not a call to isolation. I mean, think of our Lord. He had a reputation as a friend of tax gatherers and sinners. And a case in point was when he called the tax gatherer, Levi, Matthew, to follow him. Then it says that Matthew threw a great banquet And many of his cronies were there, and Jesus was there as a special guest. And of course, our Lord became criticized at that point by the Pharisees, and they said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? There's something wrong with this picture. If you really are a holy person, you're not to fraternize with those kind of people. And what was his response? says that he answered them Luke 5 he answered them those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick verse 32 I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance that was his answer to the criticism of why he was eating with these kind of people so apparently he taught that if he was going to be their physician he needed to be in their company eating with them and enjoying their hospitality. It's like this is where he belonged. Salt and light must permeate into the darkness. Fertilizer into the barrenness in order to have purpose, in order to do what salt is supposed to do. And how good it is and how, I believe, in keeping with his teaching, when Christian people are in as many fields of human endeavor as possible. I'm glad that there are people here You represent so many different callings. Science, medicine, education. And yes, we need journalists and secular newspapers that can report from a Christian perspective, where they can see things through Christian lens. We need Christian professors at the universities and Christian teachers in secular classrooms, doctors, nurses, and other medical staff. And let's not leave out the entertainment industry. I have a case in point here. Did you know that Briarcrest College and Seminary awarded Paul Brandt an honorary degree? The wording was, in recognition of his commitment to faithful service, in building the kingdom of God. Paul Brandt is involved in singing both kinds of music, secular and Christian music, volunteering with his wife doing human, humanitarian work at the Alberta Children's Hospital, and also with various international aid organizations. At The same time, he leaves no doubt where his allegiance lies. People know that he's a Christian. I just want to say I'm a little bit partial to Paul Brandt because he's from Alberta and not only that he sings country kind of music right I think you've heard that there are two musical genres right and that's the country and that's the Western and that's you know case closed that's that's about it but think of what that says about Briarcrest they are making a public statement to the effect we believe that christians should be involved widely in the world around us but probably the most important and most practical example for most of us is cultivating genuine friendships with those who aren't believers yet without any strings not with the strings attached if this person shows a little bit of interest in christian things i'll continue the friendship hey that's not real friendship that's an agenda involvement well where the distinctiveness is about the kingdom and where there is involvement we then have in the third place effectiveness we make a difference the world is much better off jesus taught us to pray thy kingdom come and it will come but in the meantime our call is to practice its ways. Our call is to push in the very direction of its consummation even as we await Jesus' return. As someone has expressed it like this, it's kind of like we are an advanced brigade. We're like conspirators against the wrongs that are in the world. Knowing that we're heading towards the wrap-up when he's going to return and he's going to make everything right. But we are part of that advance brigade, throwing little, little bombs of goodness here and there, you see, conspirators, along with presenting and proclaiming the gospel, which is very much like the Sermon on the Mount because it's the gospel of grace. It's the gospel of forgiveness. And so here we are. We are to be involved. We are to be exposing evil by being light. We are to promote justice and mercy. We are here to work for the marginalized to flourish, easing, reducing the pain in this sin-cursed world. And I think that idea, reducing the pain, helps us to understand better Matthew 25 where Jesus describes those who truly were his followers. They are the ones, he says, the ones that fed the hungry, gave drink to the thirsty, clothed the naked, looked after the sick, welcomed the stranger, and visited the prisoner. When you think about it, in every case that's mentioned in that example, It was an example of reducing the pain in this sin-cursed world. Where does hunger come from? Because this world is sin-cursed. Nakedness, all of those. And so as salt and light, our part is to help to reduce the pain. And so often it's been people representing the name of Christ who have had a disproportionate positive influence Couple, a couple of months ago, I, I quoted from a, an atheistic uh, columnist at the time of the Hurricane Katrina. And, uh, and this is what he observed. He observed how that the Salvation Army lead or led other faith-based organizations in the relief effort. And this is, he goes on to say that this is an unavoidable conclusion that Christians are the people most likely to take the risks and make the sacrifices involved in helping others. Effective. Closer to home, in the latest edition of Faith Today, there's a bold statement about the current reality. This is what it says, most agencies assisting asylum seekers in this country are faith-based. Frankly, most are Christians. And I'm sure the history of this year is going to show that when it comes to embracing the refugees. When it's helping the asylum seekers, guess who's at the forefront? It's going to be church groups. And Marty and I must know about six of those churches that within our denomination that's involved in sponsoring refugees. The one thing that comes out loud and clear by the salt and the light metaphor is that we are here as a church, we are here as individual believers, not only to develop our own spiritual well-being and growth but to be involved to look for the good to look outward for the good of others and uh, that means and that's true for all of us whether you know as individuals obviously but also as congregations also as denominations as para para church groups Different ways. Collaboration, of course, is part of it. There are many things we do so much better when we work at it together. And I believe a simple goal here for every congregation, whether large or small, it would be that the people in our neighborhood would be able to say, whether they're Christians or not, they'd be able to say, and especially if they're non-Christians, to be able to say something like this, you know, I don't share the faith of those people. I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in those things, but I'm so glad they're there. They are adding value to our community. And I, for one, want them to be there. That would be a good goal. In conclusion, let me highlight that last verse. Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But what an awesome, what an awesome thing here that is both challenging and encouraging that our lives influence other people's perception of God's glory, that they may see your good works and what? Glorify your Father in heaven. They look at us, and what they see in us influences the way they look at God. We cannot force Christian values on our society. We can, we should promote them. I, for one, am an enthusiastic supporter of the Evangelical Fellowship Canada. And a case that is coming up where they have intervener status on uh, November 30th, uh, Trinity Western, the, 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 the request that they be able to graduate lawyers will be before the su- Supreme Court. And uh, there are some provinces that are already approved and others are saying no. And so it's gone to the Supreme Court. I hope we win. And the uh, people that are from the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, they will, they will promote this. They will be able to speak to this in a very intelligent and uh, in, uh, way. But you know what? We may not win that one. There will be many, many times that we will not win, and so our society is becoming more and more secular. But you know what? Our real power through Christ is in servanthood rather than in dominion. And historically, the true church has always valued faithfulness over dominance. We cannot force anyone to respond to the gospel. We can't even force people to hear the gospel. But it is the very nature of light to shine, and light cannot not shine. That is the nature of light. Let's sing again that wonderful song. We want Jesus to shine, but how is he especially going to shine? It is when his followers are distinct, are involved, and therefore are effective for the kingdom.